Four Points family, Four Points family, you're worshiping at home and we just want to greet you on this 4th of July, but we've been singing powerful, powerful words, just one word from God Almighty. It changes things because he has the authority to change things. He can change hearts and lives. He can change circumstances. He can get into the midst of wherever you are to bring you up from the grave and into the heavenly places with him. We want to celebrate with you today. We want to continue to praise God for who he is. So let's take a moment now, right where you are. Maybe that's in your living room. Maybe it's on the back deck, just enjoying his presence together. Close your eyes for just a moment and picture the family of God lifting up prayers right now. But you pray to him and you give him that situation that needs a word from him and that needs his authority. You go ahead and pray now. Just one word from you. Things change on your authority. Your word is true and things change on your authority. God, we give to you our deepest concerns. We give to you the needs that we have to know you better. We give to you the circumstances that we face that need a touch from you, that need a triumph from you that need victory from you and we turn it over to the one who is able Jesus and to you we say amen and so it is and so it shall be well I know that you are already seated it is great to be worshiping with you and just want to let you know that we are continuing in a series. We actually will conclude that series today from dust to glory. It's an Old Testament survey. And so today we get to finish up part three in the book of Daniel. And so we're going to get some help from our sister church in Easley, the Five Point Church. Pastor Dean Herman, man, you have been blessing our socks off with this series but he's going to talk to us. He wants us to get his help in knowing God's word so that we can know God's will so that we can change the world for God. This is Daniel part three. Let's turn our attention to Pastor Dean. Thank you. I took Daniel and I broke it into two sections so that it would really be easier for everyone to remember. Daniel one through six was based on faithfulness. Now, if you remember from the last couple of weeks, just same with me. Chapter 1 was about the introduction. We were just inter introducing our main characters. There's Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and of course, Daniel was changed to Belshazzar. And in chapter 2, we saw this huge statue of the vision, this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel had to interpret for him. And we saw in that, chapter 2, 
keep going. There we go. All right, we saw the gold head. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. The silver was the Medes and the Persians. We saw the bronze was, was the Greeks coming in. Then we saw the Romans. And then we saw the kingdom divided. But then we saw another kingdom, which was the kingdom of God that never was. And what we see as we move forward into chapter 3 was King Nebuchadnezzar going, Oh, Daniel, you have such a great God because of, because of your interpretation. Your God is so great. May we always worship him. And then the next chapter, he makes this big, huge statue and says, everybody has to bow down and worship it. That's where we saw uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put into the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, can your God get you out of the fire? And they said, we don't care. We'll die in the fire if that's God's will. And if he wants to protect us, we'll be protected. You see the faithfulness of God. Then you get to chapter 4. And you see the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar as he saw this huge tree and the tree was him and a holy one chopping down the tree and he spent time losing his mind, claws and dew falling on him like an animal. Got to chapter 5 and we saw the handwriting on the wall of King Belshazzar. We got to chapter 6 and we saw that a decree was made that you worship only, only the God. But Daniel said, nope, I'm going to my window and continuing to pray. I'm going to be faithful to God. So we saw chapters 1 through 6 being about the faithfulness of God. And so many times in the 16 years of pastoring this church, so many times as a student pastor, I'll say, all right, how many of you claim to be a child of God? And there's hands everywhere. And I'll say, all right, how many of you want to be faithful to God and be used by God? And hands are everywhere. But then when you really come to it, it's like people say they want it, but then they don't do it. It's kind of like me saying, I want to lose weight, but then I don't eat the way I should. One of the best ways that you can be faithful to God is by being in your Bibles. So let me see them. Who has their Bibles? Who has their Bibles? I know I can't see you, but I hope you got them with you for this morning. But the most important thing is not only do you have it, but have you read it? So how many of you this week, you have read your Bible every single day? I'm so proud of Sunday after Sunday, we see hands go up in the air. I want to tell you, thank you. But another way of being faithful is serving here at the church. Another way of being faithful is talking about Jesus out in the world with your friends, your students, your, your, your co-workers, your family. And of course, another way in which so many people don't want to take part in is giving. I know we're not here physically this morning, but you're able to watch because of technology and you can continue to give because of technology. You want to be used greatly by God? Then you've got to learn to be faithful to God. And there's a variety of ways to give. And we say this every Sunday. I don't care how you give. And obviously you can't do the, the, the envelopes or the kiosk, but you can text or you can go to our Five Point app. Or you go to fivepoint.tv, give. Be faithful to God so you can be used greatly by God. Daniel was divided into two sections. One was faithfulness. But then two, we see in Daniel 7 through 12, all of the future events. Last week, we finished with Daniel 7, and we saw Daniel's vision of four great beasts. And we saw how that those beasts just carried straight over from chapter 2. We saw that, that, that the lion was the Babylonians. We saw how the bear were the Medes and Persians, and inside of it were three ribs, and, and those were three great victories that they had over kings. We saw that the bronze was the leopard. Again, that's Alexander the Great, and it had the wings because of the way that it moved so quickly. It had the four heads because of the four generals. Then we saw the iron and clay in the fourth beast, and that was the Roman Empire. It had ten horns, and that was the ten different Caesars. And now today, we make our way into Daniel 8. Take your Bibles, turn to Daniel 8, and let's jump right into it. Again, we see Daniel having a vision, and it's the vision of the ram and the goat. Daniel 8, 
Let's pick up the story right here in chapter 1. And we're going to finish the book of Daniel today, and we're going to do it pretty quickly. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, the same one in the writing of the wall, and this is in, in, in 550 B.C. Now remember, Daniel came in 605, so he's been here a while now. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a, a vision appeared to meet Daniel. After that, which appeared to me at first, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw it, I was in Susa the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ule Canal. I raised my eyes and saw. So let me just explain to you very quickly instead of reading all what he saw. He saw a ram, and the ram had two horns. One was longer, and one was shorter. And then he saw a goat, and the goat was moving from the west across the, the conquered world, across the world, at a very rapid speed. And the goat had this conspicuous horn. Now, let's pick up verses 3 through 14. Those are the vision. But now I want to read the interpretation. That's Daniel 8, verse 15. Daniel 8, verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ule, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Verses 17 through 27 are the interpretation of the vision. Now, instead of us going through and reading all of these, let me show you again, because a picture's worth a thousand words, exactly what this vision was. Here we go. I told you last week that the vision from chapter 2 would carry into chapter 7, and now we're watching it carry on. The ram, the large horn, that's the Persians. It's King Cyrus. And if you remember, it wasn't just the Persians. It was the Persians and the Medes. So the shorter horn, because it was the less powerful, were the Medes. But what you see are the Medes and Persians, and it says that the ram had its way until, and then we see the goat. And again, the goat, that was King Alexander. And he conquered the known world in 11 years. Quick question for you. Is Alexander the Great a large part of history when it comes to the Bible? Yes, sir. Why? What was the Old Testament written in? Hebrew. What is the New Testament written in? Greek. Why? Because as Alexander made his way across what is the known world and conquering it, this is what he'd say. I'm coming in. I've surrounded your city. Either you can die or you can become just like the Greeks. And they would come in and they would do what's called, they would Hellenize everybody. They would, they would come in and make the Greek the culture and they would have the same language. Thus, as they came through, they have the Greek language why the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, here's a map, and we see all the way up here in the islands of Athens, he made his way all the way down and took over everything you see, including here, Jerusalem, all the way down into Egypt. And, and the four horns, the, the generals, we, we see Lysimus, we see Cassander, we see Seleucus, and we see Ptolemy, and we'll be talking about these four generals in great detail as we continue forward. That was chapter 8 the vision of the ram and the goat remember last week we had the four beasts then in chapter eight the ram and the goat so it's two seven and eight just moving forward all flowing in the same years and years down chapter nine we see daniel's prayer daniel knows about jeremiah in fact daniel has been reading the book of jeremiah daniel nine verse one in the first year of darius the son of asherus by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the number of years, the number of years, he's talking about how long we've been here, the number of years, that according to the word of the Lord, to 
Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Well, how do you know it's 70 years? Because Jeremiah said that in Jeremiah 25, 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. We took three Sundays and walked through the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah continued to prophesy. Look, the northern kingdom was taken. The Babylonians have been here in 605, 597. If you don't straighten up in 586, they're going to destroy it. They're going to come. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to take it. And they did. And he said, and we will be in captivity 70 years. If you remember, Jeremiah didn't go to Babylon, but he was taken to Egypt. Even after everything the people have been through, everything that Jeremiah had prophesied, then they said, we're going to Egypt. And he said, no, God said the ones that are left need to stay here. And they beat him. And then they took him to Egypt. Now, after reading the book of Jeremiah, Daniel begins to pray, God, please, our 70 years are coming to an end. Daniel 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Keep your covenant with us, God. You said 70 years. It's 69 into the 70th year. God, we, we want out of here is what Daniel's saying. Steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. Now listen to what he does. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. So many people tell me that they're praying for America, but have you been broken to the point that you're fasting? Sackcloth, you're mourning, that you're repenting of your sin. You see, what we want in America is we don't want to really repent. We don't really want to fast. We just want God to do what we want him to do. Daniel is begging God, God, keep your word. Yes, we messed up. We sinned. It is our fault, not your fault, God. Well, Daniel doesn't just say it in these verses. In the following verses, in 6 through 19, it is nothing but Daniel just confessing his sin, the people's sin, saying, God, please, it's time to get us out of here. It's time to go home. Pick up the story in Daniel 9, verse 20. Now, I know we're flying. It's because we've got a lot of ground to cover because we're going to finish the book of Daniel in a short period of time today. While I was speaking and praying, okay, the following verses, or the previous verses, he had been just pouring his heart out to God. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, remember he came and explained it, came to me in the swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And in verses 24 through 27, we have... We have the prayer finished, and then we have what's called the 70 weeks. Now, if there's, a, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are debated. The 70 weeks is probably one of the most debated. If you want to know about the 70 weeks, you're just going to have to go look it up and begin to study it on your own. I don't have time. There are so many different theories. I'll be glad to give you mine sometime on a personal basis, but we don't have time to do it today. Now, before we move forward, we've already mentioned Gabriel. I want to make sure you understand. And we talked about this before, but there were three major angels discussed throughout Scripture. Do you remember what the worship angel was? If you know it, say it out loud. It's Lucifer. And I've said this before, but we've got so many first-time guests, and it's not like you remember everything I say. Then we had the war angel. Remember his name? It was Michael. And then we had the messenger angel. Remember his name? Gabriel. Yes, this is the same angel that came to... To, uh, to Mary and said you will have a child 
and we're going to read about the war angel and we know about lucifer and the trouble that he causes here on earth after he was cast out of cast out of heaven back in the book of genesis so i just wanted to remind you of that as we move forward into the book of daniel now daniel 10 through 12 form a single vision it is just an ongoing story all the way in chapters 10 11 and 12 and that is the end of daniel so let's just walk through this very quickly daniel 10 verses 1 through 3 Daniel 10, we start in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. We saw that in chapter 1. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. Now remember that, it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding in the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Why is he mourning? He understands the battle that's going on. Keep going. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. You see, there's this great battle going on. It is my conviction and my belief that there is a battle going on above us that we cannot see. And the reason we cannot see it is because if we could, it would scare us to the point literally of death. Daniel, you know, has been given the right to see things that we can't see. He understands the battle that's going on, and this is a spiritual battle. A lot of Christians in America will never go through the spiritual battles that people in other countries do. When I go to Africa, I am amazed at the spiritual warfare that's going on. I read of the spiritual warfare that's going on in China all the time. Why? Because Satan opposes God's work. And the problem we have here is we're not really at work for God. Just, just, let's just talk about ourselves. What have you done for your kingdom this week? Worked, spent a lot of money, worked hard to build yourself a better future, a bigger house, more. And there's nothing wrong with those things unless that's what you're consumed with. But now let's ask this question. What have you done for God the Father's kingdom this week? Now I'm not talking about washing church. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about giving. Those are what you do because you're so thankful that you're part of his kingdom. What I'm asking is, what have you done this week for his kingdom? Who have you led to Christ? Who have you shared about Christ? Who have you invited to church? You see, for the majority of us, none. And that's why Satan will not oppose you because you're not doing anything really dramatic for the kingdom of God. Since March, it was past March and COVID started, I haven't really been pushing to invite people. Guys, I'm telling you, I can't do it anymore. If the, our country has ever needed hope, it's now. If people ever need hope, it's now. And the only place they're going to get the hope that they need is from the Word of God and the people of God. I'm going to ask you if you would. Get back to inviting. Well, Pastor, what about social distancing? Okay. Come to the third service. Guys, I'm telling you, in the third service, we have 800 chairs plus out. There's only two to 300 people. You can get 60, 70, 80 feet apart from people. Come to the third service, or to the first service. There's a lot more room. Second service is really crowded. And I know that's where most people want to come because it's so convenient. But I'm asking those who get it. If you're radically in love with Jesus, would you start attending the first and the third? Now, I know that for a lot of people who worship one, serve one, you have to come to second because you worship second and then you serve first or third. But for the rest of you, if you don't serve, would you think about coming to first or third? And would all of us get back into the habit of inviting 
inviting, inviting. We have cards at the guest services. Man, I, I call them bullets. I keep my wallet and truck full of them, hand them out on a regular basis. But back to the question. What have you done for God's kingdom? You see, Satan opposes God's work. Daniel understood this because Daniel was so faithful to God. And he's getting this great conflict. It's called spiritual warfare. Daniel 10, pick the story up in verse 10. And behold, and, and, and when it says behold, Daniel sees this, this heavenly being and it scares him to the point of literally almost death and the hand touches him. Let's pick it up. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Why is Daniel so greatly loved? Because he has been so faithful. Been close to 70 years, and he's still here leading God's people in 70 years of exile, and he did nothing wrong. Man of prayer, man of fasting, man of faithfulness. He said, and you are greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said, fear not, Daniel. For, listen, this is so good. For from the first day that you sent your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, from the first day, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Don't you tell me prayer doesn't change things. The reason our prayers don't change a lot is because we only really pray when we want something. He's not wanting something for himself. He's wanting something for God's people, for God's kingdom. Keep going. Set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I've heard, I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Well, who's the prince of the kingdom of Persia? Don't know exactly, but what this is, is this is a demon, a demonic angel, one that had been kicked out, and he is fighting against the kingdom of God. So we see this battle going on, and I believe Daniel got a glimpse of this battle, and that's why he's in such great conflict, and he's so scared. But now he has a heavenly being, a good angel, speaking to him. The prince of kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Listen, listen, but Michael, who's Michael? the war angel but Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia so Michael sees this battle Michael goes he helps this angel and this angel who's been held up 21 days finally gets to Daniel don't you tell me there's not a battle going on I'm reading it right here in scripture Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left with the three kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days to come I'm coming to tell you about what's to happen to your people in the latter days. Here's what's about to happen, Daniel. Hope is coming. Help is coming. But Daniel, you still have a lot of strife and troubled days to go through. Don't you give up on God, but you're still going to endure some tough days. Here's the problem in the American church. We start going through some tough days. We turn our back on God and walk away. Daniel understands there's still tough days and he continues to cheer the people on and help them to understand exactly what he's seen because it's for him and his people. Now, remember, chapters 10, 11, and 12 are all the same vision. So we make our way into chapter 11. It's the same vision continued and now we see the angel explaining to Daniel the things that he's seen. Let's keep going, chapter 11. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, Okay, we've made our way out of the Babylonians. 
And if you remember on chapter 5, we had the handwriting on the wall, and we saw Darius the Mede come in and take over. Darius the Mede. So now we're in 539. And as for me, and 539 is a big year, as we'll study next year, next week in Ezra, because Ezra's going to pass the decree, Cyrus, Darius is going to pass the decree to send them on. Here we go. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood to conform, confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. He's getting a glimpse into the future. And a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority which he ruled. For the kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Gabriel now lays out world history from 539 B.C., which he just read, we just read 539, until... And the reason there's a blank there is because there is so much debate over when the until is. But you've got to remember, Daniel's not writing to the 21st century church. He's writing to the exiled Jews. But many believe that he speaks to them until verse 36, and then there's this large gap. Don't have time to go into all of that. But what I do know is that from these verses all the way to verse 36, it is laid out world history there are 135 fulfilled prophecies in this chapter of daniel alone let's kind of walk through those very quickly in verses two through four we see the three persian kings will rise ending in xerxes i love the movie 300 that's the xerxes that we're talking about who will go to war with greece that was in 480 bc after greece's victory alexander the great will rise to power what i'm doing is i'm just summarizing what what is said in these verses Alexander's kingdom will be divided, okay, he said, to his posterity. Why? He had no kids. So we see again that Alexander the Great's 11 years to conquer the known world. He dies of malaria, 323, and then the four, his four generals fight over his kingdom. Kingdom will be divided among his generals after his death, 323, of malaria. Now we move to chapters 5 and 6, or verses 5 and 6. Ptolemy Remember I showed you that map? You had Ptolemy and Seleucus. They become, as you read through chapter 11, the kings of the north and the kings of the south. They're the two generals that really begin to fight over all of this uh, kingdom that uh, Alexander the Great had. Ptolemy would control Egypt, the south, and as you read through this, you'll see the kings of the south and the north, and Seleucus would control Syria, the north. Bernice was used as a trading tool. She was the daughter, but she ended up being poisoned. Verses 7 through 9. Seleucus II, and as, as, the, as you continue to read through history, you say Ptolemy II, third, fourth, Seleucus II, third, fourth. It's their sons, and they just continue to fight. Seleucus II, again the north, invades Ptolemy III south around 230 B.C. That's verses 7 and 9. You see 10 through 13. This is his son of the northern kingdom, are Seleucus III, Antiochus III. Ruling the south now is Ptolemy, Antiochus. Now, it talked about a great battle being being a slaughter there you have it 10,000 men were killed we are just making our way down through history keep going now you see in Antioch invades Israel his daughter Cleopatra 
We talked about this last year in great detail. Mary's Ptolemy, and they hoped to come together, but they ended up getting killed and getting their butt handed to them, died himself in 187 B.C. Keep right on going. The contemptible person we see right here, and this is one bad dude, his heart was set against the covenant. When it says he plundered the temple in Jerusalem, he came in, took a pig. If you have read anything about the Bible and listened through the time, we know that the Jews didn't eat pigs. He put a pig in the temple, cut its throat, sacrificed it, put a statue of Zeus in there, and told him, you are done worshiping God. Well, then he killed many of the Jews. That did not go over when he set that pig and the statue of Zeus in there in 169 B.C. The wise end up, in, if you remember the back Maccabean age, anytime we go to Israel, you'll see all world history through the timeline and through the layers in the dirt, and you get to the Maccabean age. That's because Judas Maccabee in 165 came right back and said, oh, no, 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 this ain't going to happen, homeboy. We're going to clean the temple up, and there was this huge Maccabean revolt. You're seeing all of this come alive all the years right here in Daniel 11. Keep going. Then you get to verses 36 through 39. And this is possible reference. Here's the great debate. Who were they talking about in chapters 36 and verses 36 through 39? I could give you my opinion, but it's broken down to these three, and there's great debate over it. And I don't fight over this stuff, and here's why. I'd rather fight that Jesus Christ is the king. And I'm so tired of people getting together just trying to prove they're right and not that Jesus Christ is the king. I study it. I love reading it. But I am not going to fight about it. Then chapter 11 finishes with verses 40 through 45. And a lot of people want to say, well, this could be the possible end time references. All right, here we go. The way that you decide how you believe about this has to do with your eschatology what you think about the end of times are you a, a preterist are you a futurist uh, 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 uh. when we make our way into the new testament i will walk you through these views and we will talk about daniel 10 11 and 12 in great detail that's why i'm spending so much time on the book of daniel because as you make your way forward through the bible daniel has to make sense for you in order to understand where we're going. Again, Daniel 11 had 135 prophecies fulfilled. I told you last week, many people said that Daniel could not have been written before because it was entirely too accurate. But we saw that when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, oh yeah, Daniel wrote it, why? Because Daniel serves a God of the beginning and the end, and he's just living slap in the middle. Where are we in the timeline of God's time? Don't know. But I know we just need to continue to be faithful. Here we go. Chapter 12. It's the same vision concluded. Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael. Who's Michael? The war angel. The great prince who has charge of your people. And this is Gabriel now explaining the vision coming to an end to Daniel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation till that time. So when exactly is that? Let's keep going. 
But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. We've been talking about this book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Boy, you talk about a lot of debate over exactly what he's talking about. I told you about this incredible Bible help called the Bible Project a couple weeks ago. This week, I watched what they had to say about Daniel 2, about Daniel 7, about 10, 11, and 12, all coming together. I want you to watch two minutes of how they put it together because they did such a great job. Watch this with me. We're shown the same sequence of kingdoms. It's Persia, then Greece, and Alexander the Great, followed by lesser kings, all leading up to this final king of the north, who will invade Jerusalem, set up idols in the temple, and exalt himself above God. But then, all of a sudden, this king comes to ruin. Now, there's been endless debate about what all of these visions refer to. Many see a clear connection to the exploits of the Syrian king Antiochus in the 160s BC. He killed many faithful Jews in Jerusalem and set up idols in the temple. Others think it points forward to the Roman Empire's role in the execution of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple in AD 70. And still others think it will be fulfilled in future events that have yet to happen when Jesus will return. Now the problem is that the symbols and the numbers, they don't quite match any of these views perfectly. But it opens up the possibility that in a sense, they are all right. The book of Daniel has been designed to offer hope to all future generations of God's people. It did so in the days of Antiochus' empire, and it has ever since. This is why Jesus could use imagery from Daniel to describe and confront the oppressive leaders he confronted in Jerusalem. This is why John, the visionary who wrote the Revelation, could adapt Daniel's visions and apply them to Rome of his day and also all future oppressive empires. And so the point of Daniel is that all generations of readers can find here a pattern and a promise. It's a pattern that human beings in their kingdoms become violent beasts when they glorify their own power, when they redefine right and wrong, and don't acknowledge God as their true king. But Daniel also holds out a promise that one day God will confront the beast. He will rescue his world and his people by bringing his kingdom over all nations. And so for every generation, this book speaks a message of hope that should motivate faithfulness. And that's what the book of Daniel is all about. This is what I know. We win. Where you stand on the book of Daniel, I'm not going to argue with you with. But what I do know is that Daniel gives us hope and that we win. Last thing about Daniel's faithfulness. Daniel never came home back to Jerusalem. As we jump into the book of Ezra next week, we'll see the first exiles begin to make their way back. Daniel never comes. Never comes home. Why? He's 90 years old now. He's got a a very high-ranking uh, position in the government, and it's an 880-mile trip. Daniel finishes serving God faithfully. 
That's what my heart's desire is for myself, my family, and for you. But for us to be used greatly like Daniel, we've got to learn to be faithful in our time with God, our praying with God, our talking about God, our serving God, our giving to God. And my heart's desire is that you fall so in love with God that you can't help but to be used by God.